into tears uh, from the bigness of God. Maybe we will be scared from the bigness of God as we look at that in just a moment. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray as we come this last time to Ephesians 1, uh, we pray that you will make us wise. You will help us to understand uh, what it is we've got to know. Uh, that we might live for you, that we might trust you wholeheartedly in every circumstance we face, that we might throw off the sin that so easily entangles and we might run the race that's marked out before us. In Jesus' name, amen. I think sometimes as people we don't realise just kind of what resources we have at our disposal, even things that we've got. Sometimes you don't know what you've got until you've lost it. Uh, who's experienced that? You're like, oh, but that was actually really handy. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, you never knew what you really had. Sometimes it's you've got this thing at home like a computer and you don't realise its potential, what it could really do. Uh, during the heat wave, uh, not this week, the week before, Thursday, when I picked up my dad from hospital, brought him home, they don't have air conditioning at home. So I took the portable air conditioning from my office over there and installed it at home and we got there and I showed mum and dad how it worked and got it all going, installed it in the window and all the rest of things. Uh, showed them what buttons to press and wave goodbye. The next day it was hotter again on Friday, you know, early 40s, uh, and I had to take dad to the GP, uh, for the heart specialist orders, and uh, turn up, and mum and dad are in the front room, huddled in front of this machine. Uh, you know, it's a freestanding kind of one, uh, with the big tube going out the window, and they've got it going. I'm like, how come you're sitting so close? It's pretty warm in here. And they're like, well, no, this is this is it's really nice just here. I'm like, oh, um, how come you keep swaying like this? Well, <laughs> oh, the thing keeps swinging. Right. <laughs> Well, I showed you you could turn that off, right, yesterday. In fact, you just kind of sat in the corner and, right, and went and pressed it off swing and, okay. Uh, and like, you haven't got this set to cool, it's just on fan. And, <laughs> you know, you can make, oh, we just thought that was fantastic how it was. Uh, yeah, best thing we've ever had. Oh, we'll try this. Boom. <laughs> Place cools down, it's amazing, and they're like, whew. Ooh, oh, they just didn't realise what power they had available to them. They, they didn't understand what was really under the hood, as it were. Uh, like a friend of mine who bought a new second-hand 1970s Mercedes-Benz. Um, it was kind of a dodgy deal. But anyway, he, uh, <laughs> he was in shipping and anyway, it's all sort of complicated. Um, he was booked doing 160 in this brand new second-hand car old car, uh, because he didn't realise the dial was in miles per hour. Uh, and he's doing 110 down the highway, and he's going really comfortably, he's like, he couldn't believe that he was going that quick and didn't even know, he didn't understand what power he had under the hood, and, you know, just cruising along. And I think that can be the same for us as Christians, we don't know, we don't realise, we don't fathom what resources we really have available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we've got under the Christian hood. Uh, and as we wrap up our time in Ephesians chapter 1, that's exactly what Paul prays that the Ephesians and, and that we would, would grasp. He prays that we start to comprehend just what we have. Uh, right at the start, or the end of verse 7, he prays that we would know uh, start of verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That's a beautiful way of saying, I pray that you'll know something. Uh, I pray you'll grasp, I pray you comprehend just what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we get to what Paul is praying that we know about, there's a burning question which has come up 
several times in personal conversations with morning tea and supper. Uh, and I know some of the Bible study groups have been arguing about it the last few weeks based on the start of the chapter. Uh, and that is, well, I'll put it this way, why pray, why bother? Why pray at all, uh, given what Paul has already said in the early half of the chapter about God's supremacy, about his dominion, his power, about how he predestines those who are going to be saved. He chooses before the foundation of the world, how he controls all history and how he's worked the future out already. What? Why would you bother praying if that's the case? Why, why pray for someone to become a Christian when, well, hasn't God already decided? Why bother praying for change in my life, in whatever way, if God's already decided what's going to happen? And people have been coming to me and in discussions with each other up with passages like uh, James chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, you want something, but you don't get it. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that it may you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So isn't James saying there that uh, if I had prayed for something, then it would have happened, especially if I prayed with right motives that are, you know, for other people's benefit or something like that. And, and the only reason it hasn't happened or didn't happen is because I didn't pray at all or because I prayed selfishly. So if that's true, doesn't that make prayer really powerful in changing reality and the future and those kind of things? And and, and therefore, doesn't that mean that the future's not all worked out, that anything could happen, that God flips and flops and he hasn't got it all decided because he's waiting for us to pray? Um, well, I'm with you right up to the end, uh, to the last point. There's a, there's a big leap of logic, which is not true. Uh, yes, you should believe, James, when he says, pray, and that you didn't have because you didn't ask or you asked with wrong motives. Uh, and yes, prayer is powerful and brings change. James ends up saying in chapter 5 that the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective and he gives Elijah as an example. He says, Elijah prayed and there was uh, famine, where well, there was drought for three years. And then he prayed again and then there were floods for three years. So so pray you know, and, and God says to pray and he'll listen, ask and you'll receive and, and things like that. But none of that means that in God's secret plan, it wasn't all worked out beforehand. Even to the point where the very prayer which you prayed, which he answered, or the prayer which you didn't pray, which he would have answered, you know, God knows all that. Because he, he knows everything, he determines everything, he, he's sovereign. See, from our point of view, we have no idea what's in the future, except for the few things that God has told us that will happen. Jesus will return. He will claim the living and the dead. He will be Lord of all. We know that's going to happen. We have hopes, we have plans, we have dreams, we have you know, things we wish would happen, but we, we don't know what God has in store. We might like to think God should think like us and that God ought to do this. Um, God knows what's going to happen, but we don't. And so God invites us to pray to him. Indeed, he says prayer should be our first resort. And to chalk up our prayerlessness to God's sovereignty is really just an excuse for laziness dressed up as theology. It's bad theology, it's laziness and it's godless. Think about it. The very act of praying is an implicit acknowledgement of God's sovereignty over every circumstance and the future. See, when you pray, you're saying to God, you know what, I can't change the future, I'm asking you to do something you are in control of all things. You are in control of what's ahead, 
not me. And we pray because God is so big and so powerful and because we know he loves us. He's thumping powerful and he cares. He's our heavenly father who happens to also be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so to not pray when God is like that is the height of stupidity. Who else are you going to go to for help than the guy who runs the universe who's your dad? Um, And for Paul, the question of whether there's any reason to pray if God's got the future already planned is nonsensical. So he's, he's made a very strong statement so far that the future is in God's hands and he's already decided beforehand what will happen and who will be his. But then he says, verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, Paul prays. What's the reason? Well, because of everything he has just said. Because God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. That is because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy in his sight. Because in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Because he uh, sent Jesus as the atoning sacrifice. Because we've been redeemed and we've been forgiven of our sins. Because God has revealed to us his secret plan and what the end of the world looks like because he's determined all things, because Jesus will be Lord of all and because he's at work now in every single circumstance, operating that plan in every detail so that everything is in conformity with the purpose of his will and because he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit and guaranteed that we will be part of his kingdom, Paul prays (laughs) for that reason. See, God's rule isn't a barrier to prayer, it's the reason to pray. But much more important, I think, is what Paul prays for. What is so important, that having just laid out that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that he's now got to tell them that he's got to pray that they're, well, lacking. <laughs> what, what is it that trumps all the other things he could tell them that he's praying for? What is he praying all the time for these people and for us? Is it safety? Is it riches? Is it comfort? Is it healing? What, what, what's the thing? If there's one thing you're going to pray for other Christians. Well, verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in prayers. I keep asking, this is what I keep asking, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he thanks God for them and he prays for them. What does he pray for them? Well, that they have this weird phrase, that they have this spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, okay. Uh, in today's, you know, the way churches are going, that that could mean a whole lot of things. Uh, uh, is that praying that we would all become charismatic churches, or what, what's what's going on here? What's this spirit? Well, uh, the word "the" is not there. It's a spirit of re- uh, wisdom and revelation. So it's not praying the Holy Spirit will come in a different way. It's it's praying uh, for a disposition, a attitude, a sort of. He's praying for their spirit, right? that they'll have this spirit of wisdom and revelation. And, and it's not a prayer that 
they'll be able to predict the football results next week. Well, no, it's not football season at the moment. The cricket results, well, I don't know. I think Australia's going to lose, aren't we? Uh, nor is it you know, the ability to foresee the outcome of the next election. That's, that's not what this revelation is. It's not you know, particular special prophecies of the future necessarily. It's, he's praying that they might have insight, insight into God's ways and God's word. That's, that's the wisdom and the revelation. God's ways and God's word. What, what is wise in God's sight, which is also what accords with what God has told us, what he has revealed. That's, that's how you have the spirit of revelation. You understand what God has revealed. Why is that? Well, so that they can know three things. Why do they need this spirit of wisdom and revelation? So they can know three things. Three critical things that you need to know as a Christian, that I need to know, that every Christian needs to know. The very resources we have at our disposal, what's under the hood. First thing, he prays that we know God better. That's what we need to know. I pray that you'll be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know God better. There's no more important thing in life than to know God. Uh, J.I. Packer, English theologian, lives in Canada, uh, puts it like this in his book, Knowing God. What were we made for? What aim should we set ourselves in life? What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight and contentment than anything else? The answer to all these questions is the same, knowing God. In fact, knowing God is what life is all about. He, he made us to know him. He saved us to know him. And by knowing God, it's not just knowing facts about him, but it's, it's knowing him, being connected in relationship to someone's how you know them, isn't it? And, and that's how he wants, he wants us to know him. Uh, you can know some things about the queen. Okay, let's, let's do some fact-finding information. Favourite dog? Corgi. All right. Favourite colour? Yeah, we see we don't know. <laughs> uh, where does she live? Is it Buckingham Palace? I don't know. Is it a number of castles and stuff? She's in England uh, most of the time. Uh, she's getting on. She's been Queen for quite a long time. Uh, but that's a very different thing to say, I know the Queen. Although someone came up to me at 8 o'clock and said, I do know the Queen. Uh, uh, Charles Caden. He's meta. Yeah, good conversation. I don't think he really knows her, but he's meta. Anyway, <laughs> you know, but still, you know, kind of, um, yeah, to know someone is to be more than an armchair expert about them, right? Uh, than knowing the facts of their life, but to know who they are and how to please them and what's going to be constructive, know, know what their friendship is going to mean for you and for them. That's what Paul's praying, that we know God more and more deeply and intimately, know who he is, know what makes him tick, know what his plans and purposes are. I mean, they're not things that he's told us all those things, so that we, but that we understand it, we fathom it, we grasp it. So we trust him and grow in our relationship with him all the more. And, and it's a truly astonishing thing, isn't it, that, that we can know God. The guy who uh, created the rolling spheres who flung stars into space. And in Psalm 8, you know, what is man that you are mindful of? What is the son of man that you care for? And, and yet he does care for us and we can know him. And, and he wants you to know him better and better. 
And not just the God of our own imaginations, we're talking here about the true and living God, not the God I want to be, the God who is. No point knowing a God that I made up, no point in that. You know, never listen to someone who says, well, I like to think of God as. Well, that, that tells you more about the person than it does about God, right? Well, I like to think of God as a giant purple potato riding a green hippopotamus. You know, kind of, that tells you nothing about God. It tells you that I'm mad, maybe, but you, know, you want to know the real God. And the beautiful, wonderful thing is that he has revealed himself to us so that we can know him. You know, he, he's kind of revealed himself in creation so that we can know he's there and he's powerful. Right? That's what you get from the world. But how does he really reveal himself, especially reveal himself? Well, in the person of his son, God became man, so we could we know what he's on about, we know what he's like. We see him in action and in the Bible, which is his word to us. And they're not unconnected either. That's, that's where God shows you who he is. And, and that's where we've got to seek him, in Jesus and in the Bible. And just as an aside, what if we're confused and don't understand something about God? Yeah, we've got all these questions that have been debating in the last few weeks. What have been wrestling with who God is or what he does or what this part of his word's there for? Or, or, or don't be satisfied with trivial answers. Now, nut it out. Work at it. Uh, talk with those who know God better than, than you do. If Talk about it in groups. That's what the Bible study groups are for. They help Christians encourage each other, pray for each other, but also work together at, at knowing God. And you know, make sure you are spending quality time alone with him in his word, not just with eyes glazed over. What did I just... Oh, I, I did something this morning. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but listening intently to what he has to say is probing. I think that's the best way to get more out of the Bible. Probe it. Ask questions. Why has God told me this? Why did he think it was necessary to be here, this bit? Was he telling me about himself? Was he telling me about the world? Was he telling me about the church or humanity? Or What would happen if this bit isn't in the Bible? What would we lose then? What does God want me to get out of this? But notice the second thing that Paul begs God that we might know is in verse 18. So we know God better, but also I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. But it's not disconnected from the first thing. In fact, this is all one sentence too from 15 to 23. It's, you know, he's kind of explaining knowing God better. But anyway, we need to know the hope to which he has called us, the hope, well, yeah, the hope of glory, the hope of heaven, the hope of sharing with all other believers, the joy of eternity. And I what are some bits of the Bible where you could think, talk about the hope that we have? You want to suggest something? What talks about the hope of the future? Heaven? Yeah, okay. Where's that described? Revelation 21. I know that you know that because that's your favourite Bible passage. Yeah. <laughs> right? Where the, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, the new creation, new earth. Uh, as a bride gloriously dressed for a husband, and there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more mourning, for the, no more crying. The old order of things has passed away. No more of the things that mar this world. No more frustration. No more devastation. No more bombings and shootings in Paris. No more cancer and chemo. 
No more bus crashes and car wrecks. No more family disintegration. No more bitterness and futility. And why, Revelation 21, why is it so good there? Because God's with his people. Jesus is on the throne. He's offering streams of living water to anyone who thirsts. Come and drink. You can think of John 14. Uh, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. You can think of lots of other passages, you know, about the hope that he has called us to, the glorious inheritance, and they're good things to dwell on because you want to know where you're going so you don't get distracted, so you can run the race. But before we get to why it's so important to know that deeply and intimately, there's a third thing that Paul prays that we will know, and that is God's incomparably great power. We need to know that there is absolutely nothing in this universe, be it in the natural realms or the supernatural, that can compete with God's power. That when we sing, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, it's not, oh, that's nice. He's so big, so strong, there is nothing my God cannot do. There's no one that can stand against him. There's nothing that can void his promise. You need to know this incomparably great power so that you can know there's nothing that can snatch you out of his hands, as he promises in John 6. So that you can know with assurance the promise of Romans 8. This may be one of my favourite passages. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ our Lord. None of these things can separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ our Lord because none of those things can triumph over God's power. It is incomparable. There is no competition. That is the power we've got at our disposal. This is the power which which guarantees all the blessings that he described in the first half of chapter 1. That they're real, they're available. This is the power that we are saved by. Is it real? Can it really be good, that good? Absolutely. And God has demonstrated it. Verse 19. I pray that you'd know this. his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, over every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, this is the power of God actually at work, the power that can can bring the dead to life and not just any guy he can bring back from the dead, which he could do, uh, but 
the Lord of all who died for the sins of all. And it wasn't a resuscitation. He, he didn't die again. He, he was raised as king of kings and ascended to take his throne over the whole universe. He's alive and reigning on high. That is the power of God that is, has been demonstrated. And why did he do it all? Why did he exercise his power like that? Why did he raise Jesus and seat him in the heavenly realms above every rule and authority and power and dominion? Well, here's the twist at the end. Did you notice it? He did it for the church. He did it for us. He did it for his body. That's what we need to know. We need to know God. We need to know the hope to which he's called us. We need to know his triumphant and incomparable power. But one final question, why? Why do we absolutely, fundamentally, deeply need to know God, the hope to which he's called us and the incomparable power by which he destroys death and places all things under Jesus for our benefit? Why is that the one prayer to pray for Christians? Surely we already know that. And that's two ways to live, isn't it? Kind of in a much more exciting way. <laughs> um, well, here's four reasons we need to know it. Well, because of sin. We need to know these things so we can know that there is no sin that has to have us. There is no sin that has to own us. There is no sin that cannot be fought against and dealt with. There is no sin for which God must condemn us. Chapter 2, Paul describes how we we were dead in our sins and transgressions in which we lived when we followed the ways of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the devil. But he says now God has raised us to life and we are joined with Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus is at work to raise this dead body back to life and give me hope for eternity by his grace. I mean, I don't earn it. I can't save myself. I need a saviour. I can't earn his favour, but knowing the true God and the true hope and the true power that he has worked in the gospel, it frees me from despair and from condemnation. Second, because of disunity. Uh, Churches bicker and squabble. Anyone ever been part of one that does that? Uh, Anyone currently part? No one has. We fight amongst ourselves as Christians. We can fall out with each other. And we can bring great harm to the gospel uh, when everything's not going the way we want it. <laughs> um, but we're not to be jealous of each other or to squabble. But chapter 4, we're to uh, keep the unity of the Spirit, knowing God and knowing that we are his people. We're to build each other up in faith and unite as we get on with what we're supposed to be getting on with which is growing the church, growing in maturity as, as we care for and encourage and teach one another and nurture each other's faith, and growing in numbers as we reach out to this broken and dying world with the gospel of truth that bring life and hope to people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or through the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, we need it because of trials. We go through suffering. We Sometimes we in grievous suffering. You know, we've had... Uh, the terminally ill at church this morning. Uh, we've had uh, Parkers at church this morning. They you know, lost the daughter in the, car, in the bus crash a few years ago. Um, and it was her birthday through the week. Uh, and, and we can go through terrible things in family life and all kinds of things. And, and we can easily be tempted to think, God's not with us. God's, he doesn't love us. Maybe he's forgotten us. Maybe he's forgotten me. God, or 
or worse, God can't do anything. He's helpless. None of those are the case. God has not abandoned us, nor has he lost his grip, nor has he forgotten us. And knowing God, knowing the hope to which he's called us, and knowing his incomparably great power gives us assurance that this suffering now is, is not all there is. We know where we're going and we know God has not lost control. And finally, we need to know these things because the rulers, the powers, the authorities and principalities that are out there can look awfully powerful. Be they human rulers who seek to push God's word and ways out of society or who seek to silence Christians or to persecute them, judge and destroy, or be they the spiritual powers, the demons and the devil himself who seek to turn God's people from trusting and obeying the Saviour and Lord and who spread lies and lead people to hell and even in the pulpits of this land, you know, there are lies from Satan being preached week by week. If we're not truly assured in our knowledge of God, in our hope of the glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power, we might be very well tempted to pack it in as Christians. And indeed the book ends with the acknowledgement that in this world life for Christians is a fight. It's a war, a spiritual fight and we need to put on the full armour of God. Now so often, who's heard of that passage, the full armour of God? Okay. Uh, so often we, we separate that passage from later and it makes a pretty cute Sunday school activity, you know, making the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, uh, sword of the spirit. Uh, but... But it's deeply and intimately connected to what Paul is talking about here in chapter 1. See, why do we need to know God and particularly know his power? Well, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, that's the power. Paul's just been praying that we know. That power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him over every power, rule, dominion, authority. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are at war. The Christian life is and always will remain a battle in this world. And yet everything that he's just described that we're fighting against, Jesus has already conquered. He's the victor over he is seated over them. And we need to be armed, right, for this fight. And so verse 13 of chapter 6, Therefore, because of this, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Yeah, what does he want you to do? Stand. <laughs> stand firm. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in peace, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. I presume he means pray the same things I'm praying for you. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Why does the apostle 
you know, Paul, you know, he's a guy who just goes and does what he wants. You know, why does he need us or people to pray for him that he'll be fearless in preaching the gospel? Because he was afraid. Because <laughs> he got beat up. He got spat at. He got locked up. And, you know, he needed courage. And he's saying, I need you to pray that for me. He's not some super Christian who's not feeling what we feel. You know, that, that's what we need. That's why we need to know God. That's why we need to know the hope of the glorious inheritance that we have. That's why we need to know God's incomparably great power, which raised Christ from the dead and seated him as Lord over every enemy, every pretension, every imposter, every wannabe, every lie. That is why we need this prayer. This is why we need to pray this for each other, for our Christian brothers and sisters, uh, those in our own church, those in other churches around, uh, those throughout the land, who, you know, in this land which is getting steadily harder to remain a faithful soldier and servant of Christ in and in our world. This is my prayer for you. <laughs> right? Of anything else, you know, we pray for all kinds of things, but you know, this, is, this is what I, I pray for you, that you might have this same spirit of wisdom and revelation. I don't use those words. But that you may know God better. That you may know the hope to which he has called you and the glorious inheritance of the saints. That you might know that God cannot be beaten. That his promises are sure. His victory is secure. And so we can go on fighting the good fight and running the race, rejoicing in the blessings that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and remain confident even in the face of our greatest enemies, the world, the flesh and the devil. They will all seek to bring us down and destroy us, but try as they might, they will not win. Know who you belong to. Know whose you are and seek to know him better and better and better every day. Father, we thank you that you have made yourself known, that you want to know us and you want us to know you. And thank you that we can do that, that you've given us your Holy Spirit as a seal, that you've showed us your promises, that you've brought Jesus into the world so that we can see what you are like and what you have done, how you save, see that we are helpless in our sin and we need uh, one who will die for us. And thank you that you have done that, that we might know you. And help us to grow to know you better each day, knowing you, knowing the hope to which you've called us, knowing your great power, which means we can have complete confidence that you have not lost your grip, but that you love us and you will fulfil everything you have promised. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.